a school bus just went into the, the daycare this morning without any reason. A chaotic scene in Quebec and an unconscionable crime. Tonight, the new development surrounding a transit worker and what witnesses are calling a nightmare scenario. Good evening. We begin with a story that has sent chills up the spines of parents right across the country. People in Laval are grieving and grappling with why a city bus driver slammed into a daycare this morning, killing at least two children. CTV Genevieve Beauchemin reports tonight from Laval. The daycare turned into a crime scene and parents rushed in to try to find their children. A city bus crashed through the St. Rose daycare in Laval at 8.30 a.m. That's drop-off time for parents leaving their young children for the day. Little girl was inanimated over there, so... Um, yeah, very, very um, disappointing, incomprehension. Uh, a lot of emotions right now. Neighbors heard the loud noise and ran to the daycare. They helped try to pull children pinned under the bus. A lot of screaming, yeah. Screaming and, uh, you know, uh, crying and... Uh, it was awful. It's horrible. Jeanette Lemoureux's husband and two other men, both dads, tackled the suspect, holding him until police arrived. I saw him when the police dragged him in the, the vehicle. His eye was like popping out, you know. He was nude. He didn't have any pants. So uh, I, 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 I still can see his eyes, you know, how hysteric he was, that man. The daycare is in a cul-de-sac, and witnesses say it's nearly impossible for this to have been anything but an intentional act. That's yet to be proven, but police have arrested a man. The bus driver, a 51-year-old man, employee of the STL, has been arrested uh, uh, for careless driving and homicide. We can always also tell you that he will be meeting the investigators. Police say they don't know the motive, but that suspect, Pierre Ni saint amand has been charged with two counts of first-degree murder. He's been a bus driver in Laval for about a decade. Earlier today, police confirmed a child died at the scene, another in hospital. Paramedics rushed six others to ER. Saint-Rose is a daycare for 80 children from newborns to five-year-olds, and that it could have been targeted has sent shockwaves across the country. I can't imagine what uh, the families of the kids who were killed uh, and indeed the ones who were seriously injured are going through right now. And CTV's Genevieve Beauchemin is live on scene in Laval tonight. Genevieve, a heart-wrenching day there today. First, how are the kids in hospital doing at this point? Well, there were six kids who were rushed to hospital, and we know that at least four of them were brought to hospital in Montreal, two boys and two girls. What doctors say there is that when they arrived at the hospital, they were conscious. Their injuries, though, are quite serious. They are treating them, and they say that they're not fearing for their lives at this moment, but certainly uh, there's still going to be some treatment that will be necessary there. And for so many other children, of course, also in the daycare who witnessed the events, and there was so much shock through the whole area to Tonight. Yes, to have two kids lose their lives today. The big question now is why this happened, and ultimately the answer lies with that bus driver. As investigators work to get answers on that front, how is the community coping with this? There have been a lot of people who've been bringing flowers today, tonight here to the scene, talking about the fact that they just don't understand how this could happen. They keep asking that question, and investigators are still working here tonight to try to answer that particular question. 
many people say that it just seems so horrific to think that this bus had gone through this daycare when they thought it was an accident. But to hear that this daycare may have been targeted adds another layer to them, to the horror, to the shock that the community has been feeling. Here today, this morning, when parents were rushing to the scene, desperate to hear any news of their children, to hug them tight, it was absolutely emotional here. And there's a bit of a calm in the community here tonight as people are taking stock. But as I say, they are bringing flowers. They're coming to the scene. They're trying to understand how could this happen, why this happened. CTV's Genevieve Beauchemin live on scene tonight in Laval, Quebec. Thank you. This tragedy is leading parents to have some very difficult conversations with their children tonight. We'll take a closer look at how to talk with your child about traumatic events without inciting fear and making them feel safe. To an equally troubling story closer to home, police are investigating the circumstances behind a double murder in Bowmanville. The husband and wife were discovered inside a home over the weekend and the woman was pregnant. CTV's Mike Walker is in the region tonight and joins us now with the details. Mike. Well, Raheem, Michelle, neighbors we've been speaking with today are still reeling days after. Police say this is an isolated incident and confirmed today that the husband and wife both died from gunshot wounds and at this point are still trying to determine the motive. Forensic investigators continue to collect evidence at the scene of a double homicide in Bowmanville, where police say a young married couple were fatally shot inside their home. It's devastating whatever happened and, you know, it's been few days that we, I personally cannot fall asleep myself. The victims have been identified as 28-year-old Aram Kamel, who police say previously went by Aram Al-Kamisi, and his wife, 26-year-old Rafad Al-Zubaydi. Police say she was pregnant at the time she was killed. She was excited when she t told my husband that, oh, she's pregnant and she can't really, like, um, shovel, so she would need some help. And my husband was happy to help. Neighbors are reeling, struggling to comprehend why this happened to a couple many described as friendly. Even if my kids are out and I'm taking luggage out of the car, he would leave what he's doing to help me to take the box to the door. The young lady makes sure that she um, knows everybody's name and she calls to everyone and she, you know, very nice. Durham Regional Police were first called to the Crompy Street house before 2.30 Saturday afternoon for a wellness check on the couple. It was then officers discovered the couple dead inside their home with obvious signs of trauma. The postmortem examination has revealed that they both did die from gunshot wounds. One neighbor who didn't want to speak on camera tells CTV News they heard several loud bangs coming from the house around 12.30 Saturday morning and then silence. Investigators believe this is an isolated incident. They are speaking with family and witnesses to try and determine a motive. It was a targeted attack as opposed to a random attack. The timeline's being worked on um, through investigators speaking with witnesses and obtaining video surveillance from the area. From there, hopefully they can build a timeline on what led up to this. At this point, there is no suspect information, leaving many neighbors on edge. It's terrifying. I live right in front of them. We do wonder what, what happened, what transpired. The police is not saying much. Late this afternoon, homicide and forensic investigators set up a tent in the backyard and were seen leaving the home with evidence to be further examined. Now, several homes in the neighborhood do have uh, security cameras. Police tell us they are combing through that video to find any potential leads on a suspect or suspects. Reporting live in Bowmanville, I'm Mike Walker. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Mike.
A warning tonight for anyone who walks their dog in High Park. Police say there have, they've been alerted to what appears to be dog food and patches of blue snow along the fence of one of the off-leash areas. Samples have been sent to Health Canada for testing. There are no reports of sick animals at this time. A live look at the city tonight. If you're out on the town this evening, enjoy it while you can. And a tip, if you have a pair of rain boots, you better dust them off. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. And hopefully, Lindsay, people had a chance to soak in some vitamin D today. I hope so, Raheem. What a day it was around the GTA. We'll get to that coming up. But yeah, we're in for a little bit of a soaking into the day tomorrow. There's a widespread special weather statement in place. That's been in place since yesterday. Now, Environment Canada issuing freezing rain warnings for areas like Milton as well as Cal and we have a wind warning for the Niagara area where gusts could exceed 90 kilometers per hour. Here's why we've got a Texas low that's tracking closer to us here in southern Ontario. Ahead of that, we have some very mild air. It is two degrees right now in Toronto, three in Welland, and still four degrees in Oshawa. Overnight tonight, we are expecting to slip just below the freezing mark to about minus one, but even that is warmer than our average daytime high this time of year. It's a mild weather pattern. We'll talk about that. And of course, the active weather that we can expect through the day tomorrow coming up. But for now, Raheem, back to you. Thanks, Lindsay. Well, despite this warm spell, there is still a need for the city's most vulnerable to find shelter during the winter months. But a plan to provide some relief to Toronto's homeless population died on council floor today. Our Natalie Johnson joins us live from City Hall with more. And to explain, Natalie. Hi, Michelle. Well, some councillors argued today that calling it a crisis wouldn't actually do anything to fix the issue, though advocates for the homeless say it would have instilled a sense of urgency and insist that lives are still at risk. Across the city, it is not hard to find signs of people with little shelter from the cold, whether temporary tents or sleeping on the street. This is the largest city in Canada, and the shelter system is full. That's why people are everywhere. We're better than that. Torontonians are better than that. Before council today, a question of whether to declare a public health crisis based on the level of homelessness and lack of respite spaces in the city. Anyone who needs a space to be warm shouldn't be turned away. There's a housing crisis here. But council stopped short today of declaring one. I don't want to try to, try to highlight and try to create a crisis, which, as you defined it, where we can't do anything about it. Arguing that simply calling it a crisis doesn't produce the resources needed to respond to it. City staff estimate that the cost of operating a warming centre 24-7 until mid-April would be about $400,000 a month, and that would not include any health or harm reduction services, money that is not currently allotted for in this year's budget. We are in a budget period right now, and we know that choices can be made around what we want to be spending our dollars on. Critics pointing out that the city was quick to find the funds for increased police presence on the TTC. The answer lies in what we're trying to do, which is not have more and more and more shelters and warming centres, but rather to have permanent, sustainable, supportive housing. But in the meantime, you have a responsibility to save lives, to give people shelter. Shelter that advocates say is desperately needed regardless of whether you call it a crisis. Council did agree today to review the hours and operations of the city's warming centres, though that report is not due back until the end of April, after the winter months are over. Reporting live at City Hall, I'm Natalie Johnson. Michelle, over to you. Thank you, Natalie. Taking out the trash from Lake Ontario, the top 10 items removed from the water. The findings will have you keeping your feet out of Toronto's harbour.
The premier today paid tribute to the late Hazel McCallion. Uh, Hazel, you know, I wrote a, a nice little note for Hazel in there. We're going to miss her. And uh, she was a true, true mentor and uh, a friend. Doug Ford and Lieutenant Governor Elizabeth Dowswell signed a book of condolence for the Mississauga mayor. McCallion passed away January 29th. A state funeral is set for Tuesday on what would have been her 102nd birthday. There is another high-stakes health care meeting set for provincial and federal officials. Tomorrow, the Premier and his health minister will sit down with the Trudeau government to discuss the details of a proposed funding deal. And the outcome, if any, will come under a lot of scrutiny. Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris joins us now to explain. Siobhan. Well, the purpose here of this meeting is to get into the real nitty-gritty of the deals that the federal government is trying to reach with all the provinces and territories, those deals tailored to the needs of each of those jurisdictions. We are hearing from some key members of the Ontario government tonight that they have some issues with what's not in their deal. The premier isn't ready to sign on the dotted line just yet, but sees a path to a 10-year health care funding deal with the federal government. I'm confident we'll... we'll... You know, get the T's crossed, the I's dotted. We're, we're grateful um, for, for the offer. We're grateful for sitting down with the Prime Minister. Uh, but we want sustainability. We need certainty. Ontario is hoping to get some answers in a meeting in Toronto Thursday. At the table, Premier Doug Ford, Ontario Health Minister Sylvia Jones, Federal Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs Dominic LeBlanc, and Federal Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos. Yesterday was a good and important event, and we look forward to, to now you know, working with provinces and territories so they can uh, generate and publish their action plans. The tailored to Ontario pitch includes $8.4 billion to help with primary care, staffing, and mental health. $776 million in emergency cash for ERs and children's hospitals and a to-be-determined amount to cover pay increases for personal support workers. Ontario's Minister of Health isn't offering a lot of insight as to where emergency cash will go, but did flag where she feels Ottawa could have dug deeper. Well, frankly, I was a little surprised that there wasn't more focus on community care and home care. Um, to me, it is a very natural place for that patient experience to be improved. Healthcare providers are lining up with their wish list for new cash to attract and keep nurses on the front lines. We are asking that whatever money is new, 10% of that new money, in addition to whatever money we are already spending in nursing, be dedicated to nursing. And connect one and a half million Ontarians to a family physician. Because as you know, when a person is not connected to primary care, it is impossible to navigate all the rest of the services that we might need. The federal government wants to track how many Canadians have a doctor or a family health team and how many physicians and nurses are being added to the system every year. Over the next few days, Canada's 13 premiers will again put their heads together to decide if they can, as a group, accept a bump in the federal uh, health transfer that falls far short of what they've been asking for. Reporting live, I'm Siobhan Morris. Raheem and Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. Toronto police have a driver in custody following a hit and run in Etobicoke. They say a man was struck by a car on Burnham Thorpe just after 2 a.m. He was taken to hospital with serious injuries. The driver took off but was picked up a short while later. He has been charged of leaving the scene of an accident.
And York Regional Police continue to investigate a hit and run in Thornhill. A pedestrian was struck by an SUV near Townsgate Drive in the Steeles and Bathurst area just after 8.30 last night. The victim was taken to hospital with serious injuries. Officers are still trying to track down the driver who they say drove away. To the latest now on the disaster in Turkey and Syria. There are more than 12,000 confirmed deaths following Monday's earthquakes. And experts say the window is closing to find more survivors. CTV's chief international correspondent Paul Workman reports. Rescue teams are stretched thin and exhausted. But their efforts to find and save survivors have not slowed down. The first 72 hours after a quake are the critical hours, as the chance of finding someone alive drops off dramatically after that. The damage from the earthquakes and their many aftershocks stretches for more than 500 kilometers and down into war-torn Syria, where overnight, one family's loss turned to sudden joy. As a father and his two children were pulled free. But the greater reality is grim. The number of dead now counted in double digits, including this 21-year-old mechanic who was alone when the quake hit. His relatives rushed to his apartment and pulled him out of the rubble on their own. Across Turkey, many are angry at the government's response. Too slow to arrive with help, they say, and support for those left homeless. We are living here in despair, he says. This is our home and our situation. We ask for help from our government. Today, after touring some of the hardest-hit areas, President Erdogan admitted there were some problems on the first day, he said, but vowed that nobody would be left on the streets. Erdogan's recovery plan is massive and expensive. To rebuild destroyed houses in a year. This is a time for unity and solidarity, he said, not for criticism of the country's efforts. Paul Workman, CTV News. Gaziantep in Turkey. And local relief efforts for those affected by the earthquakes are ramping up here in the GTA. CTV's Beth McDonnell reports. Here. So we have different stations. The race is on across the GTA to help a region in rubble. Hygiene and food station. This is baby products. More than 200 volunteers have feverishly mobilized to sort and pack boxes destined for some of the hardest hit communities by the powerful earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. This effort led by the Federation of Canadian Turkish Associations. It feels great because I feel I'm trying my best for my country, for my people over there. At the same time, I feel bad because there, I can't go there. I can't help people physically. It's a personal plight for these volunteers, not only because they have friends and family in Turkey. With around 12,000 people dead, they've lost people they love. Doing this is a way to ease the pain. My uncle, my cousin is dead. It's almost 25 people. Can't explain. Volunteers will be here for several more days collecting and organizing donations. The items needed most right now, tents, sleeping bags, and babies. Money is also badly needed. The Burlington-based charity Islamic Relief Canada has already raised $2 million for people in Syria and Turkey since the disaster began just days ago. They hope to bring in $5 million to help people right now and to rebuild their lives.
So you can provide people tents immediately, you can provide people food immediately, but there has to be um, you know, some allocation uh, where you have widows and disabled people and orphans um, thinking about uh, you know, building small homes and, and permanent shelters for them. For some immediate needs, there are three locations accepting new donated items, two in North York and one in Mississauga. Everything from canned food to clothing is welcome, and volunteers are counting on people in the GTA to be generous. People over there, their houses are gone. Everything is gone. It's a huge disaster. Uh, I want them to uh, try their best to help our people because it's really serious. Once boxed up, everything is shipped to the airport. Turkish Airlines is flying the supplies into the country. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. Ottawa will match donations made by Canadians to the Red Cross up to $10 million and contributing $10 million as part of an initial aid package. An assessment team is on its way to Turkey to determine how Canada can contribute to relief efforts. Two members of our national men's soccer team are working with the Red Cross to urge Canadians to donate. Atiba Hutchinson and Sam Adekube are in Turkey, where they play club soccer. They spoke to TSN's Rick Westhead today. Those buildings completely collapsed. There's roads that are um, divided. There's fires. There's people yelling. There's people crying. There's um, um, just, you know, things that you thought you'd never see in your lifetime. It was hard for me to obviously um, learn of this. And, uh, you know, I, I've been in Turkey for a very long time. And just to see what this is doing to the country and obviously uh, you know, to Syria as well. Hutchinson and Atacube have created their own web page, encouraging, encouraging people to urgently donate to help those in desperate need in Turkey and Syria. The city of Ottawa's Auditor General says changes must be made following last winter's convoy protest. Today, three reports were released focusing on the response. One of the key findings, sharing of police intelligence with the city, was insufficient. And that affected the ability to plan for the demonstrations. Meantime, the street in front of Parliament Hill will be reopened, likely next month. Wellington Street has been closed since the protest began. Ukraine's president paid a surprise visit to the UK today and high on Vladimir Zelensky's to-do list, convincing the British to send fighter jets. And I will explain. To help make his point, Zelensky gave a pilot's helmet to the parliamentary speaker with the message, we have freedom, give us wings to protect it. There was no pledge today to provide combat aircraft, but British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak offered to train Ukrainian pilots on advanced NATO fighter jets. New Zealand police have made a surprising discovery floating in the Pacific Ocean, more than three tons of cocaine. It was dropped there by an international drug smuggling syndicate. No arrests have been made. The street value of the cocaine is about $316 million. And a different type of find to tell you about that's been floating around Toronto's waters. Researchers have revealed the results of a months-long trash collection project. And while the lake is much cleaner than it was a few decades ago, the outcome definitely includes an ick factor. CTV's Austin Delaney has been dipping into this story for us today. Austin, what do they find? Well, a lot of plastic, big pieces of plastic, small pieces of plastic, microplastic. But that's not unusual. This time they found something new, and it's dirty and it's ugly. 
It lurks just along the surface of Lake Ontario. Garbage, lots of it. Nearly 100,000 pieces of mostly plastic gathered last year in the city's harbour. A trash team partnering with Ports Toronto and the University of Toronto pulled out the litter using 10 devices called sea bins, positioned near the water's surface that sucked in all this pollution in just five months between May and September of last year, and traps hidden in storm drains around Queen's Quay. This is a very, very uh, common issue in urban centres with, with waterfronts and waterways running through them. Um, you know, researchers estimate that more than 10,000 tonnes of waste, mostly plastics, uh, ends up in the Great Lakes each year. The top 10 large items of debris caught in the lake last year were number one, plastic film, plastic fragments, cigarette butts, foam, food wrappers, plastic bottle caps, paper, plastic cigar tips and bags and bottles. There is plenty of evidence now out there that plastic pollution is not just an eyesore, but it is not good for wildlife. So there's a lot of evidence that these large pieces of debris, they can entangle organisms, animals can swallow something the wrong way and cut their gastrointestinal tract, which can lead to illness or mortality. What researchers had not seen in the past was what are known as fatbergs. They are a, a rock-like mass of uh, wastewater and grease. Um, so this includes things like uh, moist towelettes, uh, diapers, uh, again, wastewater, uh, cooking grease that goes down the drain. Um, it's really a, a good reminder for all of us to be careful about what we put down the drain. And they are reaching the harbour through our home drains. I think the fatbergs, to be honest, the biggest impact they have is on the is on our sewage system. Um, if fatbergs get clogged, get, you know, start to clog the pipes, it can cause things like an overflow or sometimes flooding. Some of the other plastic found was in the form of micro pellets that can seriously harm wildlife. And everyone can help here. Watch what you flush down the toilet, down your drain. And if you're down by the lake and you've got an empty bottle of water and the trash bin's full, keep going. Put in another one. Austin Delaney reporting live. Great advice. Thank you, Austin. Coming up, the fallout from a visitor visa backlog. A Toronto family left waiting for more than a year and still their loved ones are in limbo, unsure when they'll be able to visit from overseas. Tonight, Pat Foran coming up on Consumer Alert. Cosmetic surgery has increased over the years and while many procedures are done without issue, mistakes can happen. A Georgetown woman is sharing her story after an eye operation went terribly wrong and left her in severe pain. All of that story just ahead. With the sunshine and those mild temperatures, it felt like spring today. Take a look at a few of the highs reached around southern Ontario. Some of these are record-breaking. Not so for the city of Toronto, but it was close. We climbed to 7 degrees. The record to beat was 9. This warmer-than-normal trend, it's going to continue throughout the seven-day forecast. We will show you coming up. And stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. Plastic surgery is now a multi-million dollar business in Canada. And the number of people seeking procedures has increased over the past three years. While the majority of operations are done without issues, mistakes can happen and some can be life-changing. Pat Foran's here with Consumer Alert. Pat. Raheem and Michelle, a woman from Georgetown had a cosmetic procedure done to remove bags from under her eyes. She thought it was a routine operation, but something went terribly wrong. And now she's concerned her eyesight has been permanently damaged. You wish you could turn back time, I guess? 100%.
Tracy Hassel says her life now involves constantly wearing eye masks, taking medications and eye drops to deal with a botched cosmetic surgery. The former fitness model said three years ago she noticed bags under her eyes and decided to see a plastic surgeon. He performed a procedure called orbital decompression, which was far more serious than she realized. I wish I could go back in time and not do any of it and have my, my old face back, you know, um, and my old life back. Hassel left sunglasses on for this story, but shared before and after photos showing how she looks now. It's not just that she is unhappy with the outcome of her appearance. She says she is in constant pain and has been left with poor eyesight. I constantly feel things in both corners of my eyes, and it obscures the way I see things. I can't see very well. I can't drive. I can't read. I can't watch a movie with my husband. The surgery cost $10,000. Hassel has been back to the doctor who performed the operation more than 20 times for follow-up procedures. Now he'll no longer see her and the problems remain. He did so many needles in my eyes, I don't even know what, what they were for. Tracy's husband Dave says when she first suggested cosmetic surgery, he told her it wasn't necessary, but then felt he should support her decision. Now he wishes he hadn't. If you feel that you're... This is the way you were born in. It's fairly close to normal. Leave it alone. Uh, because the risk factors, what we've gone through in the last three years, are staggering. Hassel now stays home with her three dogs and wanted to share her story as a cautionary tale that cosmetic procedures are not guaranteed and things can go horribly wrong. I had a wonderful life before and it's been destroyed because of a couple of bags under my eyes that really weren't that noticeable. Before you do anything to yourself, remember that there are people out there, mistakes happen, and they can be irreversible. And Hassel is hopeful she can find some relief from the pain of her eye surgery gone wrong. If you're considering a cosmetic procedure, do your research and realize that all surgeries come with some risk. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. As of today, Netflix subscribers in Canada will be notified about the changes regarding password sharing. The streaming service is cracking down, and under the new rules, premium and standard account holders will have the option to add members they don't live with for a $7.99 a month fee. Basic and ad-supported plans won't be able to add members. Netflix hasn't said when it will start enforcing the new limitations. Well, if you needed a reminder of how beautiful of a day it was today, you just have to look outside the car wash lineup because there were a lot of cars lined up taking advantage of the weather today. You have to. A lot of dirty cars yeah. these days as well. And gorgeous, gorgeous weather. It's too bad that tomorrow's going to be a different story, but at least it's staying mild. Yes, it's staying mild. That's about the only thing that's going to stay the same. Uh, gone will be the sunshine. And I must say, with the amount of rain we have in the forecast and the amount of melting that happened today with the temperature up around 7, 8 degrees, you'll want to take care around some waterways, uh, any ice that is there is likely very unsafe and a little bit of localized flooding is going to be possible in some areas tomorrow too. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Yes, we enjoyed that sunshine today. Starting to see a little bit of an increase in cloud cover at this hour and that is ahead of this low pressure system. Another high impact storm that is going to affect uh, millions of Canadians right across the eastern half of the country. For us, this arrives 
lives. Uh, starting tomorrow morning, we're going to get into some rain, possibly some freezing rain for areas mainly north and west of Toronto, and then in through eastern sections of Ontario. It's snow even further north than that. For us, though, in the GTA, this is predominantly a rain event. We remain under a special weather statement, but freezing rain warnings have been issued for areas like Milton and Caledon over toward Kitchener-Waterloo and north toward uh, the southern shore of Georgian Bay, as well as over toward Algonquin and Ottawa. Meanwhile, just along the north shore of Lake, Lake Erie, I should say, and then over toward Niagara, it's a wind warning, and the wind gusts could exceed 90 kilometers per hour tomorrow, maybe gusting to about 100 K in that area. First, we're going to be dealing with easterly winds, and they could be particularly strong in the southwest. It's as we move into Thursday night that we see those winds really strengthen around the Golden Horseshoe, maybe 60 to 80 K gusts around the GTA and Toronto specifically. How much rain? It's looking at this point like it could be anywhere from between 15 to 25 millimeters. That's a decent soaking for a one-day rainfall. And then, uh, again, it's going to be quite windy in there, too. Let's uh, map out the timing for you. So there's about 7.30 a.m. Uh, into the morning rush. We're starting to see some wet weather. Those patches of pink, that's the risk of freezing rain. Not looking at much in the way of ice accretion uh, for the northwestern parts of the GTA. That is more likely to happen for eastern Ontario during the day. There's the heavy rain. Uh, again, it's heaviest through the middle part of the day. Tapers off by about this time tomorrow. And then on the back side of it, we will have colder air ushering in. And as a result, a few wet flurries are going to be possible. So there's your traveler's forecast. Again, the rain heaviest uh, during the middle part of the day tomorrow. Overnight tonight, we drop to a low of minus one. Around home, yeah, we're once again forecasting a daytime high of seven degrees. Here is the seven-day forecast. Sunshine returns over the weekend. Mild still, five degrees for Sunday. And look at that, five degrees as well for Valentine's Day, six by next Wednesday. That's the look at the forecast. Winning big is possible with the Princess Margaret Home Lottery, featuring more than 20,000 incredible prizes is valued at over $21 million, including the $8.2 million grand prize with an incredible show home in King City, custom built by Green Park Group, plus a brand new Tesla and $1 million cash. There is one big prize after another featuring a show home in Midtown Toronto, a stunning Toronto condo with views over Lake Ontario, or the bonus prize with a show home in Blue Mountain. And let's not forget the world-famous early bird prize, including a Muskoka lakefront cottage. Each of those prizes also coming with $100,000 cash. Every ticket gives you a chance to win life-changing prizes and helps fund life-saving cancer research at the Princess Margaret. It's a win-win. You can buy online at princessmargaretlotto.com or call 1-866-631-1234. Good luck, everyone. Raheem, back to you. Thanks, Lindsay. Also tonight, when the unthinkable happens, what should you say to your kids? Expert advice on how to discuss tragedy. Families across the country are having a difficult conversation following today's bus crash in Laval. As our health reporter Pauline Chan reports, experts say it's important to give your child time to process the events. Professor Nafisa Ismail says parents may well get questions from their preschoolers about the Laval crash, and it's okay to even ask them what they've heard. Try to address uh, the topic and the situation with the children without transferring any of our feelings or worries or anxiety towards the situation. The important thing is to reassure your children. Ensure that 
they understand that situations like that are extremely rare, that uh, the probability that it will happen in their own daycare, in their own schools is almost zero. While Ismail says children may be upset by other news about disasters in places like Turkey, there's a difference when it's so close to home. And while it may not be unusual for a young child to lose sleep upon first hearing of the fatal crash, parents should watch for more lasting consequences. Does he seem to have lost uh, their appetite? Um, are they communicating less? Do they seem to not play with toys they usually enjoy playing with. She adds that children may not show signs of being troubled immediately. It may take a few days. Pauline Chan, CTV News. A pioneer in civil aviation, Bessie Coleman, or Queen Bess, was called the world's greatest woman flyer. At the time, African-Americans were unable to get their wings in the United States. A new play tells her story. Andrea Case is here to tell us more. Michelle, good evening. Yes, it's quite a story of unshakable optimism, self-determination, and self-confidence. Brave Bessie, as she was also known, had dreams and goals which had no limit. When Elizabeth Bessie Coleman wanted to pursue a career as a pilot post-World War I, she had to go to France to accomplish the feat. In doing so, Coleman, being of both African and Native American descent, became the first black and indigenous woman to hold both a pilot's license and an international pilot's license in 1921. First of all, France was permitting women to do things a post-war that America wasn't, and racially as well. Those are two major differences at the time. And so you have not just Bessie, but many other intellectuals, you know, that, that leave the States to try and, and pursue uh, freedom to some extent in France. Coleman studied French in America, secured sponsors, and moved to France. I'm officially moving out of office, living in my very own apartment, don't care what anybody say. Beryl Bain is currently in rehearsals to tell Coleman's story. Bain not only stars in the play, she wrote it. It was a story that came to me through a, a book, through a, a, a book called Promise the Moon. I saw a little paragraph about her and I was like, ooh, I really, I gotta explore that story, you know. So in a way, yeah, I had to write it. Coleman was inspired by stories she heard from pilots who returned from World War I. Commercial flight was years away, so she became a high-profile stunt pilot and was featured in air shows across the U.S. She really was an extraordinary person. When you want to dream big, when you think you've got something inside that you really need to express, that you really want to do, um, remember that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be popular, and that's okay. Her dreams were higher than the altitude of her plane. Her goal was to establish a flight school for African Americans. It wasn't meant to be. Coleman died when her plane failed during a test flight before a show in 1926. Well, the flight opens to the public on Friday at the Factory Theatre on Bathurst Street. It runs until February 18th. But tomorrow, there will be a performance for school children, a lesson in history, black, native, or otherwise. I'm Andrea Case reporting for CTV News. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. A lot of screaming. Yeah. Streaming and, uh, you know, uh, crying and uh, it was awful. Updating our top stories, murder charges after a 51-year-old man crashed a bus into a daycare in Laval today. Two children were killed and multiple others were hurt.
Those two people were married to one another and lived in that home together. And uh, the postmortem examination has revealed that they both did die from gunshot wounds. Police say a couple shot to death in their Bowmanville home this weekend were married. Durham's homicide unit is investigating but has not released any suspect information. Researchers estimate that more than 10,000 tons of waste, most of plastics, uh, ends up in the Great Lakes each year. Toronto's Trash Trapping Program Network says it removed nearly thousands of plastic bits from the harbour last year, amounting to about 118 kilograms of waste. On the markets, the loonie fell a quarter of a cent to close at 74.36 U.S. American oil was up a buck 33 to 78.47 a barrel, and the TSX lost 45 points to close at 20,679. Immigration lawyers are calling Canada's visa application process the worst it's ever been. Tonight, we have the story of one family's struggle with the system. Here's Allison Hurst. Faith Emaniki's daughter is almost one. How are you? But her parents have yet to meet her, stuck at home in Nigeria, waiting for a temporary visa. It's taking too long. Dominika and Emmanuel Akimu initially applied in May 2021, shortly after learning Emaniki was pregnant, so they could help her with the newborn. After experiencing technical issues, they decided to reapply and filed in January 2022. More than a year later, despite more than a dozen inquiries, Emaniki says they've only received automated responses. It's too much. I really want my mom here. So, like, just approve the visa, say something, just let us know what, what exactly is delaying the visa because you can just keep, me in, keep us in limbo for a year plus and not see anything about it. Emaniki says she's been in touch with her MP. CTV News reached out for comment. Staff confirmed they have her file. No, just looking at it that you are alive and you are not there for your daughter and to help her at that critical point of her life that she really needs you. And I'm not there. No, it's made me feel that maybe I failed as a mother. According to the government's website, the processing time for a visitor's visa from Nigeria is 388 days. There's no reason why someone should be waiting 300 plus days for a visitor visa application. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Immigration lawyer Ravi Jain says there's a backlog of more than 2 million applications. Some visa posts are saying just reapply again. And so they, they will then process those who were last in. Uh, you know, and that's not fair to people who've been waiting over a year. The IRCC would not comment on Emaniki's specific case, but a spokesperson told CTV News, we remain on track to meet our goal to reduce overall backlogs and process 80% of new applications within service standards. We will continue to do what it takes to get there. <laughs> Emaniki has two brothers in Toronto as well who also recently had babies. She says their in-laws were approved. We want to visit our children over there. We want to see our grandchildren. Especially as Emaniki's daughter turns one next week. Alison Hurst, CTV News, Toronto. After the break, turf war. The story of one Toronto senior and his battle over keeping his lawn artificial. Amid this mild weather, we're getting to see more green out there. But one senior who ditched natural grass to make life easier is now seeing red, courtesy of the city. Sean Lethong explains. It may look real, but this is synthetic grass, and it's led to a turf war with City Hall. I cannot uh, look after the real grass. Homeowner Frank Leone installed the fake grass on his North York lawn because he's in his 80s. He's had a stroke and has limited mobility. Even if I'm handicapped, they don't care. Shortly after the turf went in, a complaint was filed by a neighbor. Frank got a notice from the city. 
is not prohibited. It's just not explicitly permitted. Receiving help from former counselor Karen Stintz, Leone called a bylaw officer to inspect the lawn, getting approval last October. Told me that the grass is uh, permeable, therefore you're not breaking the law. And he got it in writing. Your artificial grass is permitted from the standpoint of the zoning bylaws. Leone thought it was over, but just a month later, a building inspector from the city said the lawn is not permeable, meaning water can't pass through it. And? He's being charged for failure to comply with an order. This despite the approval of a bylaw officer. Somehow, this information was ignored. Leone had to attend court yesterday with another date set for March 14th. Stintz says he's caught in a jurisdictional issue within the city. He's now being served with additional notices of violation, including fines, if he doesn't replace his grass within the next 30 days. According to the bylaw for residential buildings, a minimum of 75% of the front yard must be soft landscaping, with the city defining soft landscaping as an open, unobstructed area that supports the growth of vegetation such as grass, trees, shrubs, flowers, or other plants, and that permits water infiltration into the ground. According to Leone, he was told that the primary issue was a lack of water flow, even though his turf has many holes, and it allows water to flow through easily. So despite the confusion, former counselor Karen Stintz says there should be a simple solution to this problem. And they can solve it for Frank, and they can solve it across the city. She says that the bylaws should be amended to include synthetic turf so that a mix-up like this doesn't happen again. We contacted Mayor Tory, who sent a statement that reads in part, I heard about this case, and based on the limited information I have, I am baffled by it. I want to be clear that I don't think the fate of our city rises and falls on whether senior citizens in North York have artificial turf on their property, especially if another city representative told them it was okay at one point. He said that the city manager is aware and that the mayor and council don't enforce or interfere in court matters, but he is hopeful for a resolution. Leone says if this continues, he's considering a lawsuit. Sean Lee Thong, CTV News. Well, whatever your type of turf, it's going to get a good soaking tomorrow. It is. And this is probably a good reminder to clear any storm drains on your street because with the rain and the mild temperatures, there is going to be some melting out there. Here's a look at your evening forecast around the GTA. Temperatures remaining just above the freezing mark tonight and then slipping slightly below through the overnight. Tomorrow, once again, we're forecasting a high of 7 degrees. We just don't have the sunshine to go along with it. Instead, we have a patchwork of special weather statements, freezing rain warnings, and a wind warning for Niagara. An unsettled day tomorrow, but a pretty mild-looking long-range forecast. Even Valentine's Day is looking nice and comfortable. Michelle and Raheem. Thank you, Lindsay. That's it for us, but be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a great night.